2: Hello, welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. After a week's rest, ready to go into round three of the Six Nations. And what a selection of games we've got coming up. Two of the tournament's form sides are away from home for the very first time. Ireland, two wins under two from under their new head coach Andy Farrell. But next up for Farrell is Farrell Jr., captain of England and the trip to Twickenham. Obviously, it's a ground he knows well because he was uh, four years as the defence coach for England. Another man who's familiar with Twickenham is the former Ireland and British Lions captain Paul O'Connell. He'll be joining us today to look ahead to Sunday's clash. And we'll ask him whether the Irish can go all the way under Farrell. Alongside Ireland at the top of the table, there's France. They look rejuvenated under the guidance of Fabien Galtier and Sean Edwards. They face their first away trip from Paris on a Saturday afternoon away to Wales in Cardiff, which won't be easy. We'll look ahead to the game in detail with our studio guest and with the former Wales scrum half, Rupert Moon. Away from the Six Nations, domestic rugby in England, Delta Blow after the RFU revealed its plans to slash funding to the Green King Championship by 50%. We'll be getting the thoughts of the Telegraph's chief rugby correspondent, Gavin Mayers on what this means for the future of the competition and what about their newest side, Saracens. I don't think you'll have a blind bit of difference on Saracens. And we'll be taking all your questions... Some Good ones as usual because you're a bright bunch. Right now, I'm delighted to say, alongside me for his full contact debut, is the former France, Van Berets Franca Serge Betson.
3: Hi, Brian.
2: Hello, Serge. France, well, um, tackling, discipline, hard work, c'est fou,
3: huh? <laughs> yes, definitely, Brian. It's uh, it's very uh. Very important to see France playing that level, as you just mentioned, uh, discipline, uh, organization. Uh, I think all that things come from uh, one one man who everyone knows, very, very important man, which is uh, Sean Edwards, who jo- joined the, the French team in the summer and, and tried to change uh, the way we were defending and I think uh, as Sean mentioned all the time when he was coaching me at Wasps, is the attack starts in defence then uh, I think uh, France managed to do that well the first game against England.
2: What is it about Sean Edwards because I know him not very well I know him reasonably well but you know him a lot better because you've worked with him what is it about him that that, that that makes a difference?
3: I think that it's really passionate on on what he's do. is really uh, uh, lovely uh, out loud, and 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 he's, he he feel everything he said to the players, and uh, and that is very contagious. And I think he's really share what he's believed the most is uh, believing yourself and trying to make the most of what you can do to tackle and stop your opponent. Then this is what is is about Sean Edwards, and and I think that's uh aspect is very important in the game and uh it's also a y- human very very close to the player very um very in line of uh, talking and uh, and sharing what what is all about uh in defense and uh, and people really enjoy it and uh, and the relationship is really simple even people don't really know or understand what he what he say when when he talk <laughs> uh, because he's up north but uh people can feel it and can really trans- transfer that to the game cuz the one concern i had obviously i've not been
2: in the french camp you have for for, for ages but i've been told that you know on certain occasions with the players uh, and some coaches they have arguments and so on and I just wondered whether the French would accept Sean because he's very direct, isn't he? You do it his way, and he's right because obviously he's being judged on that. I just wondered whether the French might say, "You know no actually no, I'm not I don't want to do this
3: uh It's funny, that you say that because uh in France it's all it's mainly like this where the the player has been coaching for a long time, which is very directive and i think that suit his coaching philosophy then um then for some reason i think uh we can see the way france are defending and 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 we can see the way he improved the defense of france and uh, and definitely um uh, it's funny that uh before he moved to to france he, we had a meeting uh, he, he asked me to to have a a, a talk a discussion be. To understand French philosophy, uh, players, etc., and and we really have a very frank, honest uh, conversation about France and uh, and the potential there. And 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 just by doing this, it showed the how how important it was for him to to move to France and how he care for everything he, he do, and he's really um, uh, passionate on, on this.
2: Well, that doesn't surprise me because he's a very thorough man, isn't he? He's a very detailed man, mm. and he wouldn't leave that. Look, what's what's the reaction been uh, like to the performances and the new side, the new look uh, from the French rugby public?
3: But I think they really enjoy it, and you can see that in uh, in the stadium. Uh, you, you you were there in the start of France uh, against England the the vibe was so positive the, the the people were really enjoyed the game and really supportive which is was really rare from the last few years mm-hmm. and and I think that uh, creates a, a great atmosphere and and also the belief to the players and and now we can name some player like uh Aldrit Francois Cro uh, 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 uh Charles Olivon the captain and those players, we can know we can name them uh each then that is for me is bring a lot of confidence uh, around the public and, and and the way they play as well is is very positive then all that makes the France being looking very good and um, and I believe the the, the the it's just a starting
2: well let's turn our attention to the big clash coming up at Twickenham pleased to say delighted to say that we've got Paul O'Connell, the former Lions and Ireland captain, who's joining us now. Paul, hello, mate. How you doing, Brian? Okay, uh, two out of two for Andy Farrell so far. Uh, What's your assessment overall, uh, having seen those two games?
4: Yeah, I think it's been quite impressive from Ireland. Um, I think the Scotland game, the first game Ireland played, actually, it changed. The day Finn Russell left uh, Scottish camp, that actual game changed for me. And I don't think that's going to be good for Scotland in the long term. But in the short term, I think it probably would have galvanized them as a group and would have probably put them in a, a good place in terms of team ownership for that Irish game. And I suppose Ireland were probably lucky to win that game, but they did win it. And... Uh, I think that was actually a really important win for for, for Ireland. Um, and I think in, on another day, they could have lost it. They were excellent against Wales. They created an awful lot, defended really well. Um, Scrum was excellent, probably rode their luck a little bit again. But a bonus point win at home to Wales... You know, it's a massive result. Their World Cup uh, yeah. semi-finalists, they won the Grand Slam last season. They've been playing great rugby. I think they're probably a different size without Jonathan Davies in the team. I think he's a terrific player, but it's still a massive win for Ireland. So Ireland are looking quite good. I think they're probably trying to hang on to all the good things from the Joe Schmidt era, uh, around Rock, around their excellent set piece, very good exiting side. Um, And then they're probably trying to add one or two wrinkles. I think you'll probably see the forwards passing a little bit more on Kyle Sinclair and maybe a little bit more offloading. But I think they're in a very good place now. And, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of luck to get a bit of momentum, particularly when there's a new coaching staff that that just starts and takes over. So Ireland are in a good place. They won't be, there's no doubt there'll be, there's no fear of them being overconfident heading to England if, taken two heavy beatings from them the last two times they've played they're probably very realistic about where they are but they're in a far better place than they were I think than the last time they played England uh, in the Aviva Stadium
2: Well you're a former Ireland captain what do you make of the decision to give Johnny Sexton the captaincy over someone like say Pedro Armani or, or James Ryan
4: Well look he's I played with Johnny for a long time and uh you know, a lot of guys, guys, I think, don't outwardly go for captaincy or don't outwardly want the captaincy. And if they're offered it and they're give, it's given it to them, they're very, very grateful. But I think there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress comes with captaining a team as well. But I think of all the players in Ireland, no player wanted to captain Ireland more than Johnny Sexton. Um, for a long time, I think he's been really eager to do the job. And for a long time, he's probably been more or less doing the job anyway. I mean, even when I when I played with him, I would have relied incredibly uh, heavily on him. And I would have wanted him to almost captain the team alongside me. It's particularly when you're on half, you, you are really the main decision maker. I think the captain might point to the polls and make a few other decisions like that. But in terms of how you're going to play the game, in terms of kicking... Uh, In terms of running the ball and where you do that, the out-half makes most of those decisions anyway. So he's a fantastic guy. I mean, he he probably doesn't come across, certainly to a a British audience, because they wouldn't know him maybe as much as we do. He's he's actually great fun. He's great fun to be around in the group, but he's very, very serious when it comes to training, when it comes to games. Um, And winning, I think, doesn't really satisfy him. It doesn't matter how much he gets paid, he is incredibly driven and he's a great example to young players really. You know, he is just a relentlessly driven rugby player, no matter how successful he is, uh, no matter how many caps he gets. And uh, I think he's a great choice. And I, I think James Ryan is ultimately gonna end up as the Irish cap uh, as the Irish captain and, and I think you wanna protect him a little bit. You want him to be taking the captaincy at a time when he's really eager for us and really ready for it. Um, and uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen now.
2: Can't get away from it. A lot of the build-up will be centred around uh, Farrell Jr. and Farrell Sr. Um, is there anything in that? Um, you've been around them uh, both in your time with the Lions and so on. What do you think about that? Um, I,
4: listen, I think one of the good things Ireland-Irish rugby did a few years ago is they realised the value in investing in top class coaching and the difference it can make um, when you have good players, if you can invest in top class coaching, it can make all the difference and, and I think that's something Ireland has managed to do really well there's been a few mistakes in the last few years, but by and large you look at the quality of the coaches You know, even going back to Pat Lamb Michael Cheka um, obviously Joe Smith Les Kiss, Um, some of the foreign coaches we've brought in have been top class. And I think when he lost his job, when Andy Farrell lost his job in Ireland, a lot of us guys that have worked with him on the lines would have been saying to Joe, if this guy can be grabbed, we should grab him. Um, And he came in, and I suppose along with Joe and maybe the IRFU, they were trying to put in place a plan for succession, maybe similar to what New Zealand do, where... Uh, they they promote from within and people that know the system and know how it works uh, go from being a defence coach or an attack coach to the head coach so from our, from an Irish point of view it's a great appointment uh, and it's been really successful and I think just the way those two characters are Owen Anna, and a very similar very Owen, Owen to me would be very similar to Johnny Sexton good fun uh, knows how to enjoy himself but very very serious about the job as well and very professional in how he goes about his job and I would say that's the way it will be. They'll probably speak on the phone, maybe Saturday night before the game, and, and wish each other luck. And there'll be no chat again until after the match. So um, it's an unusual situation, but two ultra professional guys. That I don't think it'll affect them in any way. It's probably not easy for their uh for Owen's mom, and uh, and Andy's wife. But uh, listen, I, I actually, I actually don't think it has any effect on the game, really.
2: Because you know what, they're both going to come out and say, it's not about us, it's a wider thing, It's insignificant. What they should say is, you know what, or, or Sir Owen should say, he's given me it since I was a kid. He's beat me at everything when he was, you know, and now I've got a chance. Of course I want to get one over on him, uh, and, and because people will understand that. But never no, mind, let's move on. Uh, look, what have you made of England so far? Where do you think Ireland can and will target them?
4: I think England's win against Scotland was similar to Ireland's win against Scotland. I mean, that when you play in those kind of conditions, it's made for an upset, particularly away from home, particularly after the uh, losing to France and been quite inactive. So I, I thought England's performance, to dog it out and just get the result, it, it's one of the things I enjoy about working with the BBC, Brian, is you speak to some of the older school guys uh, a lot of the time, and they're just, first and foremost, focused on how do you go about winning the rugby match. And I think some of the younger crew, we've been, i including myself with the younger crew at 40, but uh, there's so much talk about performance and how did you perform. But the main statistic is the scoreboard. You know, you have to win the game. And for me, England winning that game, but it was ripe for a, uh, and upset was a big moment for them. Um, I thought they probably should have beaten France when we look back, and certainly we were impressed with France and the defence and the Sean Edwards effect, but when you actually looked at the game again, England had a multitude of opportunities to win that game and probably should have won that game. So I think England are probably in a very good place heading to this game. They've built a little bit of... uh, uh, a defensive mindset now with, with Eddie in the media, with uh, Ellis Gaines obviously in the media after the game. Um, and I think heading back to Twickenham with the possibility maybe of, of some better weather, uh, I think England are probably ripe for a very good performance. I mean, my favourite player to watch at the moment is Kyle Sinkler. But the last two weeks that I've watched him against France and against Scotland, his passing game, you know, it's non-existent because it's so difficult to play in those conditions and he's been one of the real reasons for me, England have played so well and, you know, I've never seen a tight-head prop that his first and second option is to pass or offload and he seems to create so much space for England in how he plays and he hasn't been able to play like that in the last few weeks. So, um, I think England are in a good place um, but Ireland are too and that's what makes this weekend so, especially for me, I think, Wales fans, with France, beginning to feel a little bit of confidence on Ireland, England, but Ireland beginning to come back and find maybe some of their 2018 form again. Um, I think it looks like a great weekend of rugby. A uh, prediction? I think Ireland are going to play really, really well. Um, but I fancy England, particularly at home, I mean, uh, I think England won't have forgotten their performance. Uh, in the World Cup semi-final against New Zealand, I was at that game, and I just thought England were operating on a on a different level. Um, I don't see any reason why they can't get back to that level. Certainly, Benjamin Paulin isn't playing. He is a world-class player. You know, he can generate quick ball when there's when it looks like there's absolutely no hope of generating quick ball. And uh, Ireland probably don't have as many players like that as, as England do. But I fancy England. I go. England by seven points.
2: Well, we will see. I'll see you there, mate.
4: Okay. Cheers, Brian.
2: Take care. Thank you. Paul O'Connell, a bit surprising, actually. Um, thought he might plump for Ireland. I'm pretty sure he's right. There's only going to be one score. Uh, which way it will go, I don't know. He's also right that, uh, yeah, England uh, gave Ireland a shellacking last time up, But Ireland won't fear coming to Twickenham because they've got a relatively good record there over the past 10 years how do you see that one going
3: it's it's a, it's a very very uh, a tricky one because uh, as you mentioned uh, Ireland Ireland play decent rugby since since the six nations started and uh, and to see uh, Andy Farrell uh uh, back at twickenham uh and and face uh his son uh, team uh will be huge uh, in terms in term of an emotion uh but uh the for me the the game will be um uh, in the front row, uh, which is always has and and I think uh, the, 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 the way uh, England play uh, against uh, Scotland last w- week ago uh, they have to replicate that they have to be very very ruthless in, in, uh, in, uh, in the set speeds in order to to, to try and to create a platform of domination to to hopefully bring uh, George Ford and and all the backs and and to create that momentum we're going to help them to maybe score tries and and I think it is going to be exciting to see how Ireland uh, will re- will react from that and and uh, and I definitely believe that's going to be a very very close game um and 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 and, and, and why not see a draw <laughs> Serge um huge um, and very
2: distinguished back row player yourself. What is your view of picking
3: players out of position in the back row, like Curry at number eight, for example? <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of talk around that. And, uh, and, and, and I believe um, uh, Eddie Jones have his view. Uh, of Of why he do that, but again uh it, it's it's very difficult for the player to to adapt himself as quick as possible uh, on on the way people wanted but uh is that a decision for me as well to be moving to a play a position he never play I don't, I, people don't know then it's difficult to analyze that but for sure, is going to be a, it's a weakness for for England because we know how good he is as a seven. We know how good he is, can disrupt the game uh, opposition game by his tackling, by his ball carrying, and and uh, it's important to 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 give him a minimum. Um, uh, confident on the way he played. And so far, uh, it, it was it, it was very difficult for him to start in Paris with with some uh, amazing uh, back row player. And, and again, they would be facing uh, Allen, who are very, very uh, experienced team. And again, if is that's one of the weaknesses uh, for England, it would be that position where he should be uh, uh, in the front foot, not in the back foot. Well, you make the point. The
2: assessment of the success of this is not just, you know, how well does he do at number eight? It's how well does his replacement do where he would have been, you know, where we know him and Underhill have been playing very well. So, and when you saw Don Brandt's performance against Saracens, well... I'm, I'm you know, I, I still don't understand that, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm not the coach.
3: There we go. Yeah, but uh, it's true that we, we need to, we need to match uh, expectation of, of, of the primary role of, of the flanker, mm-hmm. and, uh, and if Anderil is one of the best tackler uh, of England, he should be, it uh, should be brought in that position in order to do what he do the best, which is. Uh, stopping the opposition jackal and tackle uh, with always a positive tackle which is make
1: a huge pressure into the opposition hello sorry to interrupt your podcast i just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another program from the telegraph i'm ben riley smith the daily telegraphs us editor and i've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between donald trump and russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was, would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump?
3: And he said, uh, and
5: in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on clinton.
1: This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our election. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down.
4: I will tell you this, uh, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for
1: it. That's in Crossfire, available now wherever you downloaded this podcast. A lot of the
2: French players have come from very successful age group teams. Do you expect them to be able to continue their progress? Because the jump from, say, under-20s to full international is quite a wide one. But they look, many of them to, you know, have been going quite well. Do you think the how do you think they will go around trying to keep this
3: progress? But I think uh, one of the things uh changed uh, for 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 the last two years is is that uh, that, that generation of players will win the World World Cup under 20. And and it's it's funny because uh we, we talk a lot about that now. But you have to remember f- England uh the last four years were a world champion mm-hmm. under 20 and those players are owen Farrell uh, Elliot Daly, um uh, Itoji. Joe, Joe, Joe lunchbury mm-hmm. all that player uh, getting their experience from the under 20 then yes <clears throat> I definitely believe that uh the 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 young young talent player should learn from that experience and 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 get the game time in order to 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 experience high level in order to transfer that to the national team then uh, yeah this is the 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 pathway of of the player to be from uh, uh, under 20 to national player then uh, that that part is very important if uh, France and and the Top 14 understand that standards will we have more player more younger player we're going to play in the French championship uh, Top 14 and, and get that experience uh and and follow follow that i think uh, now France starting realizing that we need to invest in younger young youngster we need to invest in the in, in the um, in the young age in order to bring a new new player and a new 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 prospect for the national team. Well, look, everyone over here
2: yeah. probably because he's English has been focusing on Sean Edwards, but obviously Fabian Galtier must have had a, a hand in some part in the success so far. Um, what do you think he has uh, he has done differently?
3: I think the most important thing uh, was uh, before the starting of the Sixth Nation. I, I, just to remind you, uh, Fran- uh, Galtier was brought in the French team uh, for the preparation of the World Cup in Japan. Then that, for me, uh, I was a little bit concerned. I, I was worried because I, I thought if, the, if it's not happened really well in the World Cup, that's going to create some uh, uh i think uh, distinction in uh, in the camp in the french camp but it's happened that he, the french team went really well uh and the coaches um fabien galtier um as well as uh, laurent labitte uh manage really well the players and the player really enjoy th- their professionalism. Uh, Fabien Galtier is one of the the first professional uh, coaches in the era of era of professionalism. And I think uh, players enjoy that. Uh, in the past, there were a lot of uh, uh, coaches who were not used to be uh, professional coaches like uh, uh, within the French club. And and that creates a little bit of uh, let's say miscommunication and and the way of work wasn't the same. Then I think Fabien Galthie brought something really new with a very very rigid um, plan uh, where everyone has to follow. And and I think that uh, gives a lot of confidence to the players. And 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 also there is uh, Rafael Banes, who are also manager uh, within the team. And, and those group of uh, uh, staff uh, coaches bring a lot of confidence and the way they work is bringing uh, excellence in, within the camp. And that is, for me, uh, a lot of things we changed from the past. Well,
2: Gauthier, you're right. He's got a, a long and experienced track record. Uh, so long, um, he's so old that I played against him. Talking about Scrum arms, Antoine Dupont, he's, uh, for me, he's been sensational.
3: Um, yes yes uh, he's... did
2: did first of all um what were you expecting him to do before the tournament
3: and how pleased how pleased are you with his form during the tournament, listen, uh, he did uh, really well before the tournament because the World Cup uh, uh, in Japan was one of his trademark. Because even uh, France lost in the in the quarterfinal against uh, the Wales, uh, uh, Antoine Dupont was one of the the leader already uh, within within the French team. Then uh, today, that not a surprise for me. It's very very important for the game because everything he do. He did it with a lot of uh, uh, effectiveness and uh, and flair. I, I love the way uh, he see the game because he see the space before. He's clever, isn't he? he? Clever. Yeah, very clever. He see he see the space before he play the ball, which is make. Uh, huge difference, and and he don't have to be uh, uh, huge physically. It's uh, he, very tiny, but the the way he play, the way he run with the ball, the way he, he used this for his forward to to move to to move and 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 create mismatch is very very unusual, and, and I, I'm really pleased to see him playing, and uh, and he's one of the the great asset of, of French rugby from now.
2: Well, you mentioned um, the back row, the. Uh, captain Charles Olivon and Gregory Aldrich. Um Do we have a settled French back row now, and how good can they be?
3: But I think it, it's uh, it's very very positive to see uh, Charles Olivon as the captain. Uh, playing the way he's playing he, two games he score two tries uh he is a great leader uh from the Basque country uh, and also the number eight gregory Alretz is so 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 immense and again that's come from what's happened during the world cup and and they they keep that momentum within the player and the selection and and I think there will be a going um two a very hard time on the weekend in Cardiff because this is a point, isn't it? Yeah, France home usually quite good. France away, who knows? What, exactly. What do you
2: expect? What do you expect?
3: I expect a lot from the back row. that's that for me, the transition. Then, the for the for for the first two game, they were immense in the in 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 the sense of. Collectively and uh, and individually, they they were uh, a very uh, high-profile player. But now I want to see them in a very. Outstanding uh, atmosphere, which is Cardiff Millennium Stadium, and the way they they have to handle the challenge of uh, facing the Welsh team, uh, who are on fire as well uh, with the new uh, coaches and a new player. Uh, I think it will be a, a very tight game. Uh, uh, the fact that uh, all the staff know exactly what Cardiff look like when uh, when when the Welsh team are are in in the top level it will be important, and uh, and I definitely believe this game will be uh, the really transition game to see if we're really uh, up to uh, to win the tournament.
2: Well, look, why don't we get a Welsh perspective for the clash against France? Joining us once again, I'm pleased to say is. Rupert Moon, the former Welsh scum half. Hello, Rupert.
0: How are you doing?
2: Um, just been talking about Sean Edwards. Um, <laughs> well, what can you say? I mean, he's going to be a factor in this, isn't he?
0: Oh, look, um, he is, uh, and I've, I've known him for quite a while and uh, talked to many players about his um, style. It's, uh, it's grunt and growl, so he doesn't need to speak any language other than that and seems to um, inspire people um, in
2: that way. Look, um, PIVAC, people expected quite a lot of think, unrealistically, in terms of changing style and suddenly going out there. Um, what have you thought, and what have the public thought about things so far?
0: I, I think there was, uh, as we would all like, um, is that um, way of just chucking it about a little bit more, I remember Gareth Jenkins and Nigel Davis talking about the Welsh way when they were involved. Um, I think it is it is nice and romantic and and we've evolved certainly uh, over time when Gatlin began to using the ball a lot more uh, to the end of his tenure and then for Wayne Pivak to pick it up and do a little bit more. But as you know, as we know, that winning the matters, um, offloading and, and playing a little bit more is is nice, but not many people remember how many offloads and how many wondrous tries we scored in the 12 years in the most successful period in the history of Welsh rugby. So I think they've got two or three games worth of uh, the Welsh public giving them a little bit of leeway. But then after that, it will be, we want to win.
2: Well, one thing that's not helping PIVAC is um, the injuries that uh, Wales have got. Uh, Jonathan Davies being badly missed, I think. As indeed he would be. But, you know, I, I've heard that he might be recalling uh, Rhys Priestland. Do we, I mean, Priestland's, am I right, he's 10 caps short of the 60 cap rule that Exile's supposed to have before the picked. Um What would you uh, think if, if this rule was broken in this instance? Yeah,
0: I, th- I, I think it would be wrong. <laughs> I think they put it in place for for all the right reasons. And a lot of people have been, Nicely captured or made life, you know, most life choices uh, based around that rule. And I think they, there was a lot of deliberation and negotiation and discussion for why they put it in place. And um, yeah, I just think it would completely go against what the principles are, what they put it in place for. But I understand there's, there's quite a lot of red tape in theory that has to go through for him to be there. But of course, they can cut it quite easily and quickly if. Wayne wanted that, but I'm thinking like at Sam Davis, you know, he's a, a Mercurial young fly half who's come through the system and developed and made a choice to stay in Wales to play for the Dragons, played in the Barbarians game, did okay, had man of the match performances over Christmas and then he hasn't had a had a call <laughs> had a call since or been involved, which is which is odd, but he's the one that you should be giving experience to four years out of a World Cup, I would have thought.
2: I mean, the last couple of clashes, big ones, Six Nations, World Cup and so on, they've been very, very, very close. It could have gone either way. Um, they went a particular way. Bearing in mind what you've seen from France, what we've seen from France, the new uh, discipline, the, um, the, the way that they are, uh, are playing, could they do what will be difficult, uh, obviously, and uh, come down to, the, uh, to, to Cardiff and win?
0: Yeah, look, they they certainly have the capabilities. Having having played a few times against France and 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 won a few and lost a few, yeah, they, look, they are they are a frightening prospect if they get their stuff together, so to speak, because of the volume of players available to them. Same as England, if they were able to just be all together, those two should really dominate world rugby. But yeah, I but I think Wales, as in Wayne Pivac, have to be bold here. You know, I remember back to when Steve Hansen took over. Um, the Welsh team, the Welsh squad, and it was about performance and developing for the future. You only get experience by gaining experience, so we've got to invest. We've got a great group, a squad of players, of a large proportion of which will be all right for the next World Cup. So transitioning players in is get caps into them early, and that's where I think in key positions we the players aren't going to be able to make it by the time the World Cup comes. And I'm I'm in the belief of senior players that, we, that are going to be hanging on in by the time that comes because of the games in between. So I think we've just got to bite the bullet, give young some young talent some tough experiences and stick with them. And there's no tougher than France. And then going to New Zealand ain't going to be easy. But someone like Sam Davies went down to some went down to the South Seas. That's right, and did played Samoa and Tonga uh, under the under the guidance of Robin McBride and and was successful. And not many people can say they did that as a ten.
2: Well, we won't have long to uh, wait. I'm sure you're looking forward to it. So are we? Thank you for joining us. Thanks for your contributions as always, Rupert Moon. Thank you, mm-hmm. Serge. Um, what are your uh, memories of the six nations, because your stay in the French side it was was very successful it was possibly the most successful France have had in the six nations. What are your memories of it
3: but uh, great it's funny that uh, you mentioned being twenty years now. Uh, it's great memories, great uh, feeling because uh, we we start uh, my generation start the Six Nation, which is uh, luckily we won the first Grand Slam of the Six Nation in two thousand two, uh, two years after the Six Nations started. Then uh, yeah, the, the 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 memories was so positive, so so so. Enjoyable. Uh, on that, um, I remember playing uh, playing uh, in 2000, the, my first Six Nations, and uh, and the the tournament wasn't a great tournament for us. And I have a very a tough moment. But two years after 2002, we managed to do something very special. And and it start with playing away from home, which is Cardiff, where where we play uh, Welsh team. That game, I have to say, was one of the toughest game ever. With uh, Quinell brother, who we were carrying the ball uh, one after he, uh, one after the other, uh, and 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 when when you see the pressure uh, come from the supporters who are booing or shouting when when one of them were carrying the ball, you 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 can get scared and feel like uh, the 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 world going to fall. Into you, into the pitch. Then, then that was one of the the great game ever, and the memory was uh, fantastic because we won the game. But uh, that was by one point and last minute. And, well, and, and you're right, but interesting because in that year against
2: England, same year two thousand two, uh, Clive Woodward said about your performance, he is the only player that I can say was a single-handed reason we lost the game. So he said it was all down to you. So what do you remember about that?
3: I remember that um uh we yeah, tackle a lot Johnny Wilkinson sometimes <laughs> late but uh at that time the 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 video wasn't there <laughs> but, uh, but no it's uh, it's 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 a great great was one of the great performances uh, ever for 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 the from the French team it wasn't just me i think uh my that generation was Fabien Galtier, um uh, uh, Raphael Ebanes, uh Olivier Magne uh a lot of great players from France, and we wanted to 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 create something special. We wanted to be uh, one of the well known uh French team ever in that era and and we managed to have that and also you don't forget that we have a a coach who were really really tough on on, on the player and Bernard Laporte was one of them and and I always say that he he helped me to be. Who I am today because he brought a lot of discipline within the team. He brought a lot of respect. Uh, he's one of the coaches who brought a referee within the camp in order to understand the rules of the game and to make France don't make mistake and don't have a lot of penalties. Then those aspect was uh, new to to to. To, to rugby and to us and, and and I think we learned a lot and, and we wanted to prove that we can be on the top uh, level. Well, that certainly was an improvement from when I played because I used to wonder whether the French knew any of the
2: rules, actually. <laughs> any but a year later, you go to the World Cup semi-final, it went wrong. Why did it go wrong against England in, in the semi-final?
3: Oh, it went wrong because we didn't have the the, the right strategy, I think, we because... Uh, I remember that 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 game uh, so well that uh, I, I cried after the game. I, I remember scoring the the only try uh, to the game, but uh, what happened was. Uh during the whole weekend, the weather was great. Uh, we it was sunny and, and, rained. and never rain. <laughs> uh, and 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 we play our best rugby. I remember the quarter final against Ireland. Uh, I think we were really confident to to play um, French rugby. We to play open rugby. And uh, on the day of the game, uh, it starts raining from the seven in the morning. Well, I've got a question from William Fotherington saying, if it hadn't have rained. Do you think you would have won? I'm not sure, but uh, I think we were close to uh, to do something special because uh, we d- didn't really have any plan B uh, to the game. And, and I remember the, after the game, uh, some English players were talking about how they trained during the weekend. Even uh, it was sunny. They trained with the ball uh, weight because they knew The the rain will be there, which is something we never, never thought about. Then, yeah, it's it's really, really uh, a tricky question. But I think if the rain wasn't there, it would be another history.
2: Well, I'm not being wise after the event. And I remember this clearly because as soon as it did start raining, I said, England will win this one. A couple more questions. This one from a Frenchman. Do you know Michel Roux, Jr.? The uh, chef, yes,
3: exactly, good chef, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harlequin
2: season ticket holder. Oh, um, yeah. don't, don't, don't not Wasp, not Don't Wasp take only. against him. Well, look, he can't support wasps now because they're not in London. Exactly, um, it's true. Uh, he asked about Sean Edwards. We have touched on Sean Edwards, but just just answer me this: How much? Difficult to say percentage wise, but what of the performances you've seen so far? How much do you think is down to him?
3: i think um uh england england france was down to, in, um let's say uh forty mm-hmm. okay. percent um, when when you when you look at italy uh have to say the defense wasn't great maybe because the fact that uh, the opposition they, they think that opposition will be uh, very very loose but um uh, the, it's also i think the mindset the 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 fact that uh, the, the pressure was more into the England game than, than Italy. But uh, I think now uh, coming, going to Cardiff on, on the weekend, this is where we're going to see yeah. the, real, the real work of um, Sean Edwards, but also the real work of uh, Fabien Galtier, because that's going to combine uh, two things, uh, attack and defence how uh, organised we're going to be in defence, but also how, how, say, strategic we're going to be in order to find um, the, real, the real gap uh, to score tries and, and to make France being uh, very, very, very uh, dominant uh, in attack. Uh, and I think uh, today we didn't see that against Italy. Uh, which is, was, for me, the easiest way to to see the way we are attacking, the way we are moving the ball around. Um, and I think that that game going to crystallise those two things to make sure France are in the good spot.
2: Uh, just a last question from David Gilbert. Um, in this country, the championship clubs have had their funding cut by 50%. Now, he's asking, um, can you tell us a bit about the French... Second tier system. How does that work?
3: But it's 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 a little bit similar to uh, to England, but it's true that the budgets are miles miles away. Uh, the, the the Pro D two, uh, which is equivalent of championships, uh, the club are getting I uh, don't know three four five millions uh, to run the club, and uh, and and they're. They, they are professional. Uh, they are professional to compare to the championships. I coached a long time ago. Where does that money come from? That money comes from individuals, uh, people who are business owners uh, or the city who also support. We don't remember that in France, the city uh, provides uh, a lot of support for the clubs uh, every time. Then, quite quite often, they own the stadiums, don't they? Yes, exactly. The municipal stadiums. So exactly. the club doesn't have that... To, to run. Exactly. Then that makes a huge difference. And, and to be fair, uh, the, way, um, the way I see the championships run here, uh, it's, it's on my side, I think it, it's, it's in, in, in line with what people can have as a budget. Careful, but, yeah. but, but at the same time, I don't really understand the strategy of, of uh, England. Why they cut the budget without uh, um, sometimes to 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 help the club to adjust that kind of cut, uh, and, and I think it's very difficult to understand the, the strategy where they're coming from and and why they why they're going to do with that money. Uh, they, are they going to invest to the women's? Are they going to invest to to the national team again? Uh, we'll
2: we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about that. Uh, with our next caller because that's uh, I'm glad you led on to that. The biggest news domestically has been the RFU's decision to cut funding to the championship by 50%. Well, that means it will go down from just over half a million to a quarter of a million for each side. I was writing today about that, but why don't we get the thoughts also of Gavin Mayers, the Telegraph rugby correspondent who's joining us now what's your take on it
5: yeah Brian it's um I think this it, we're really looking at a, a, a cause of the the RFU having to make cuts because of the financial mess they got themselves into after the, the World Cup in 2015 um I think it's, it's, uh, there's two real issues Brian there's both both the impact of the cuts and then both how the RFU have have managed the situation I think we saw last week. The um, the sort of just how angry the clubs were at at being called to a meeting without any with any notice or negotiations and being told that their money was being halved uh, and having been told that they hadn't made strategic targets, which some some say they weren't aware of or some say they were never judged with. So I think I think overall we have to really look at the impact on the development of young talent in England and whether the RFU are right to go in a different direction and effectively hand over that responsibility to the Premiership Club.
2: Well, uh, my, my view was this. Look, it's tough for the Championship, but the Championship is a very strange beast in the sense that you've got fully professional clubs, one of whom is the one that always comes down from the Premiership. You've got very... Uh, almost, you know, professional semi-pros. And then you've got the avowedly semi-pro stroke amateur pros, if you like what I mean. And there's a huge disparity between top and bottom. Um, I've never understood why the championship do not uh, get in bed with ring fencing in this sense, provided that they have an automatic right, one of them, to come up every two or three years or whatever. I just don't see, because people have been putting in the papers, it takes £7 million a year to make a successful challenge to get up. Well, they're going to do this every single year. All of them who, who want who have a realistic ambition. It doesn't make any sense to me. They're not, they're not doing themselves any favours.
5: So I understand that, brand totally. And I think the RFU were trying to make the point that a sort of 200,000, 250,000 cut annually will not impact a club that has realistic ambitions of going up. And that absolutely is true. But I think also we just have to look at what is the role of the RFU? Is it to develop young English players? Is it to help their own clubs develop? And I think if you're imposing a, a, a sort of quite a brutal funding cut, whether you think about the Premiership or not, it's going to impact uh, players who, who benefit from playing in that, that, that league, that level, against men, not necessarily on the under 18s or, or Premiership Cup. You're playing against some experienced professionals and you get a club culture. Um, I I just find it interesting that quite a lot of the Premiership players, some England players, talked about how valuable the Championship was to them. And I think we shouldn't overlook the fact that it's not just about getting up to the Premiership but also developing young English players. And if there isn't a second tier, one wonders what will happen to that second tier. There's no commitment to, to play English players. We could see more overseas players comes in and then you, my fear would be that more and more young talent will have won't have games to play, and they'll just be end up in academies lifting weights.
2: Every pound that the RFU spends somewhere means that another part of the game, and they all want the money, and I understand that, but the RFU at the moment doesn't have it, and probably never will have enough for, for what everybody wants. When you take away one bit, you give to someone else. Um. What are the clubs saying about the need for the long term stability of the game, for the grassroots, the women's game, and so on?
5: I think it's a very good point, Brian, and the RFU's argument would be that they that you know they're they're trying to get their spending under control post the the World Cup twenty fifteen, where a lot of money was spent for the right reasons, but maybe not with the with this proper scrutiny. Um the one the one thing against that, Brian, is the problem they are, if you have, is they signed this eight year agreement with the Premiership clubs that they just can't really afford, and that to me should be under more scrutiny the fact that they're they're locked into another four years uh they in twenty sixteen they signed this thing for two hundred and twenty million to the Premiership clubs at the same time they gave the England players squad a massive uplift in their Uh, in their fees for playing for England. At the same time, they hoped that their revenues would continue to grow, and that hasn't happened. And what we're seeing now is the cuts really coming down on the grassroots and on the championship clubs where the two areas where they are, if you can make cuts, they've also gone through a huge redundancy programme over the last two years. And I think it's just... You know, I think uh, what, what we what the, the debate should really move on to now is what is the next agreement going to be with Premiership Rugby? Because that is the absolute massive financial drain on the RFU's finances. And really, at the minute, uh, it is just without their power because they are locked in, as I say, for at least another three three seasons. Um, difficult question.
2: What, if anything, can be done to make this situation better? I suppose it could make a lot more money. I mean, that's one thing.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I think in the medium-term future, the RFU's finances. Bill Sweeney has come in, and he has a reputation for being uh, strong on the commercial front, uh, as he proved to be away. He seems to be quite confident that within sort of three or four years, the RFU will be debt-free again. The East Stand will be paid off in that in that t- uh sort of similar time frame, and I think then we could see that that. You know, the next World Cup cycle, that the finances do strengthen, but I think in the next, in the very short term, I think the RFU must have some sort of negotiations with the Championship clubs, sit down, talk to them, see if there's a way that they can they can resolve this, which you know without leaving the sort of acrimony and, and that you know you, you speak to any Championship club brand, Euro Club Nottingham. The, the, you know, they, they really fail the RFU if you've turned the back on them at a stage where the news is broken to them three months before the end of the season and it's only a 12 month deal so I don't know how they're meant to do any sort of business plans beyond the next 15 months which for any sort of business to know about their funding going forward is difficult so my 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 hope would be that the that clubs and the RFU are able to sit down together and try and thrash out something that is a little bit more acceptable to them and provides a little bit more security in the medium term, not, not just for the next 12 months.
2: Well, of course, they've got a, a newbie in the championship next year, Saracens, no less. Jamie George, Elliot Daly, both saying they'll stay at the club even though it's in second tier. But uh, Allianz, as we know, are now pulling uh, their sponsorship. So will this have any effect on Saracens or will they just find money from somewhere? As they always
5: do, Brian. I think as long as Nigel Ray remains committed to the club, and as yet we have no reason to doubt that they are going to be uh, a going concern. But I think what we are seeing is um, with 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 a, such a title sponsorship and Alliance stepping away from the club, their whole plan to redevelop the stand, uh, the, the, the uh, big grandiose plans for. For, for redevelopment there, further redevelopment, and also growing the the brand both in Europe and globally, and also more importantly, just trying to get some more bums in the seats at, at, at Allianz. That, you know, they don't have the natural supporter base that you would have at Leicester or uh, Northampton and and Gloucester and Bath and things. So it, it, it's a real setback to that. I think you know they they are dealing with a lot of change at the minute and they are trying to find a way to keep their best players. If they they do that, they will certainly come back straight back up again. And I think um, if they are able to sort of demonstrate to the wider rugby community that they have moved on and and that you you will then begin the process of attracting new sponsors. But it, it is tough times. Brian, I think it's probably... I think the club were probably initially too slow to react to, to, to the news and the fine, and, and, and the second sanction with points deduction um, has left the club in a really difficult position. Uh, and, you know, this, this, this will really test their management and, and, I would say, governance of the club. Uh, Gav,
2: take care, yeah, mate.
3: Yeah. Okay. Bye nice bye.
5: Okay. Okay.
2: Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact. With the Telegraph, thank you very much to my co-host Serge Betson and to all our guests. I'll be back every Monday evening during the Six Nations from all the usual places you get your podcast from. So, if you've enjoyed this episode or indeed any of the previous episodes, please do subscribe. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. For now, goodbye.